Evans. Low crossing in. Here's Mukhtar. Edge of the box. Adi Mukhtar scores for Nashville. The lead is cut in half just like that. 104.5 The Zone brings you the lone bright spot for Nashville SC on Saturday night. The 81st minute goal from Hani Mukhtar to drag one back for Nashville, but they ultimately fall 2-1 to New York City FC. Boys in gold now winless in two and headed back home for one of the toughest stretches that their schedule is going to see this year. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people We've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Tim, coming into this match, you said that in the upcoming stretch, and this was before Toronto that you said this, that actually this New York road match was maybe the most appealing of what was what was coming up. Toronto at home, this one now LAFC in Atlanta at home. And so I would imagine we'd both agree the first two of those four, Toronto and New York, were the easiest of the four, I would say. One point between those two games, not going to cut it for Nashville SC. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, we we kind of try to to ride the wave of a season a little bit. Um, I understand people getting very emotionally invested um, in the match-to-match, but we, you, you and I typically try to not get too high, not get too low after any individual result, but after back-to-back, just complete clunkers, really. <laughs> it's it's a situation that you take a step back and say, where where does this team go from here? I don't think the season is doomed by any stretch of the imagination, but it certainly looks a lot less rosy than it did, oh, say about 13 days ago. Yeah, I've been accused recently by a couple of different folks of being the, quote, voice of optimism. I don't know that I see myself that way or the show that way. I think it's a voice of realism and sometimes context and perspective after a couple of frustrating results can seem like optimism when in reality, perhaps, at least in our view, they're just, uh, they're just realistic. Uh, by all accounts, though, there's not a lot to be optimistic about from this match. Nashville concedes twice in the first 25 minutes. We'll hear from Gary Smith some detailed thoughts about the quote-unquote travesty of a defensive performance from his group. Again, Gary's words there. And then we'll talk about the attack as well. Uh, somewhat lackluster night. There were some chances, certainly, in Nashville, of course, because of game state. Tim was pouring it on after going down 2-0 and after 25 minutes. Maybe some good things to point to there, including a goal from Hani Mukhtar, but still, you know, not enough. And and, and Gary, I think, right to be frustrated with a lack of, of rhythm in the final third. Yeah, it was uh, kind of a, a textbook example of why um, long balls and crosses are not a great way to create offense. They look dangerous because they put the ball into the into the penalty area and, and sometimes even into the six yard box. But the likelihood of connecting and getting a shot off from either of those types of passes is, is very low. And we saw that it looked a lot of times like Nashville was very close to making a play that would allow them to to find that first goal. And then once they did to find the equalizer, but. I think you saw the team be a little bit more successful when they were willing to play on the ground. Um, obviously, New York City FC makes it very difficult to play on the ground, whether whether it's an even game state or whether they're leading by two or one goals. So that's very difficult for Nashville SC. And I think when um, you know they didn't begin the game set up optimally necessarily to 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 ride out the press that New York City FC brought, and it ended up being a situation where neither uh, city goal came from that from the that press, but. Once Nashville went down, they weren't really well suited to to make the comeback other than kind of the hopeful long ball situation. Yeah, even though NYCFC passed the ball more than Nashville SC and had 52% possession, Nashville attempted 33 crosses to NYC's 
12. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of those speculative, hopeful, desperate, you could say, late in the match, trying to claw their way back. But I want to ask you, too, how much of Nashville's attacking you know, dysfunction or lack of rhythm was a result in this case of playing on a smaller pitch, on a baseball field, a place they're not used to playing. And on that smaller pitch, perhaps it's tougher to play along the ground and you have to resort to more crosses. A fair argument? Or do you think that still sells, it gives Nashville a little too much credit and, and you know they should have found a way through? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly an, an element of that for sure. Nashville, even before they went down two goals, seemed pretty content to play the ball long rather than try to, to operate in tight areas. Some of that is because of the field. The field is smaller. Like we mentioned in last week's preview of this game is is it's going to be more difficult to play tiki-taka soccer on a small field when you don't have the sort of technicians that New York City FC signs in order to to optimize their play to the fields that they play on. We'll see we'll see if they have a tiny field once they finally get their their stadium built in Queens, but I think yes, that's a part of it. Another part of it is I I don't think and and we we tend to 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 tread lightly when we're criticizing some of the tactical decisions. And um, Alex Mwil is a guy that we really like, but he was not well suited to play through the New York City FC press. And yes, defensively, he was able to make up um, some of the ground there. But I think when Nashville realized that New York City FC was going to force them to play it on the ground or or bang the long ball every single time, it made it a lot more difficult. And they kind of resorted to to doing that long ball sort of situation even before the game state got out of control. That's interesting because I, I would imagine um, that Mwil is in there in part because of his familiar, familiarity with uh, with NYCFC and mm-hmm. perhaps even there's a little extra on it for, for a guy that's a former Red Bull uh, mm-hmm. maybe, but I, I agree with you that perhaps there was maybe a little too uh, much weight given to the man management piece of it, to the emotional <laughs> piece of it versus the tactical in that case. I was surprised to see that and and to see Schaffelberg not in, uh, especially because Nashville knows it's going to be doing a lot of its work on the counter against New York, a possession oriented team and Schaffelberg of course is built for the counterattack. Yeah, and I, part of that, part of playing wheel is because I think there was an expectation that, yes, you're going to play long, but because of the the tightened dimensions of the field, you might not have as much space to run into with uh, both Schaffelberg and Pico together. Fair. That's the only thing, really, to me that makes sense. I know Gary mentioned after the game that Alex's kind of defensive bite in a game that was going to be, you know, contentious and all those things that that he uh, that he you know described accurately about how New York City FC was going to play. The issue was it, it Nashville SC was unable to play in ways that that counteracted it in a lot of ways. That's totally fair that you're looking probably at more hand to hand combat in a situation like this on small on a small pitch. And Wheel is built for that. Unfortunately, New York's first goal, a direct result of of Wheel getting uh, getting beaten on an outstanding play on the wing. And uh, things didn't go up very far uh, from there for Nashville SC. So in today's show, we'll follow a similar pattern to what we did last week. First talk defense and then talk attack. Of course, this time it's not about dominant defense, but about an uncharacteristic night for the defense. And then we'll we'll chat about the question of whether this is just what Nashville SC's attack is right now uh, in, in a frustrating night again in the final third for the boys in gold. We'll hear a lot from Gary Smith today, too, because he gave some pretty compelling comments and strong sound bites post-game that uh, that related his frustration, in some cases even with individual performances and individual moments, which he doesn't always do. Uh, so that'll be interesting. We'll get in the mailbag, of course, and then go outside in with our uh, newly named launch pad, uh, an update from Huntsville, as well as uh, kind of a dual look at Nashville's next opponent, uh, not a great time to be playing LAFC uh, for Nashville, but that's who's <laughs> coming to town. And uh, LAFC has has been uh, in the news for a couple different on-field reasons. But first, Tim, uh, the good news of the show, of course, is that ML Rose is great after wins, after losses, during the week. 
And uh, one thing that that is I think even better is their continued growth. Four locations now. Melrose, of course, the original 8th Avenue location near Jonas Park. Uh, Sylvan Park, uh, which, again, best and most important neighborhood right there on Charlotte. You say it. I'll, I'll steal your line. Capital View downtown and, and Mount Juliet. I'll be in Mount Juliet tonight, actually, picking up a suit from Men's Warehouse, officiating a wedding in a hey. couple of weeks because my college right, roommate has guy. terrible judgment to choose me. <laughs> By the way. His wife is great. He chose the the woman very well. Better to mess up the efficient decision than the marriage. <laughs> uh, but I'll be out at Mount Juliet. And, and I think that's one thing that we undersell. We talk a lot about that 8th Avenue location, but these, these places are all over town and you're going to get a consistent experience wherever you go, but a slightly different layout that makes it kind of fun to check out each restaurant. Yeah, I, re- I remember uh, when I first went to the to the 8th South um uh, ML Rose location, which I had been to, to the one that is debatably between the best and most important neighborhood and Sylvan Park. But yeah. I'd been to that one when I first moved to Nashville. And then I'm going to the 8th South location actually to, to have a meeting with with a, a Nashville SC uh, representative and back in the USL days. And I went there and I was like, it, it, it feels, it doesn't feel identical, but it feels the same. You know, it's, it's like kind of a weird uh, situation where you feel comfortable even though you've never been there before and I haven't been to the Mount Juliet location yet so I can't speak to that one but I, but I would imagine that all of them are the same and it is the sort of situation it is you know I it's it's such a corny reference to say it's kind of like cheers where you just feel like you're comfortable there and you know the the theme song of cheers everybody knows your name it's not necessarily <laughs> literal but uh, you do kind of walk in and have that sense of comfort and and all the locations that I've been to have have definitely provided that sense of comfort as well. Yeah, do a little trial and error here. Uh, you have two home matches now coming up. NSC fans plus the U.S. Open Cup uh, here actually in not too long either, hard to believe. So there are three chances now before the end of the month to try some different menu items to uh, to, to visit, to enjoy, to commune. Just remember, get there early because this place is popular. 8th Avenue South, again, if you want trial and error too on a non-match day, check out the 8th Avenue location or any of the other three, uh, Charlotte Avenue, Capital View, and Mount Juliet. Let's head now to our early, early shout. Uh, the call of NYC's opening goal from Apple TV, followed by some strong comments about the defense from Gary Smith. With delivery shots, oh, what a goal! Keaton Parks with a bullet of a header. A delicious delivery. And they are screaming at City Field tonight. The young boy whips in a, a very decent cross. Parks is coming in, and times he's running to the box fairly late but unless I'm mistaken there's nobody else in the area I think I think Walker gets dragged across towards the near post but it's an overhit cross um, and honestly it should be dealt with Shaq's I'm not sure what he's thinking but he should he should seriously be thinking about attacking the ball and in the end it becomes a free header for somebody of of, of Keaton Parks's quality, and and he's dispatched it very very well. But you know, having having seen this back for work for a, a number of years, let alone this first seven games, eight now. You know, it's it's a a soft goal for us to give away, a simple goal for us to give away, one that's routinely dealt with um, on other occasions, and the same can be said for for the dead ball. You know, Chanot ends up able to volley from seven yards out under very little duress. Now, the difficulty there is to try and get a shot off. If you're under pressure, it's hard to sort your feet out and get your balance right. 
but with no pressure on the player. You know, in all honesty, the first 20 minutes and the two goals were a travesty for us. Absolute travesty. Tim, the word travesty is something I think I may have only heard Gary Smith uh, use in reference to officials in the past in his press <laughs> conferences. But he was very, very strongly worded about his defense. And I think I can understand the frustration in theory. You're on a smaller field. Nashville should presumably be that much tougher to break down in elite defense. And they just made a couple of really uncharacteristic early mistakes. Yeah, and we, and we talked in the intro about about Alex Wheel um, being the choice for his defensive bite, and I, I you can't really blame him necessarily on this one, but he does get magged on the sequence that leads to the goal. Um, you, you mentioned that he's familiar with NYCFC, and I was I was not able to Google quick enough. I would like to to note that he did score in the Red Wedding back in 2016. Dax McCarty scored twice in that game as well. So, but yeah, it, it's a situation that um, I think Gary's. Gary's comments are, are right. This is not what you typically see from a Nashville SC defense. It's, it's not what you typically see from a guy like Alex Moyle, who, like like Gary was very clear about, is out there for his defensive bite, for his ability to go in and fight and maybe win some second balls and not let that sort of space open up. Um, it, it happens to every team. I know Nashville SC fans get really up in arms when they think we're too positive when, when the team loses, but it happens to every team. The fact that it's happened... Um, a little, a little more uh, over over the past, I don't know, eighteen months or so than it had in the, in the first two years of this franchise is something that's certainly worth keeping in mind and worth being a little bit frustrated about. But um, yeah, it's it's the, the second goal. <laughs> it's a little more frustrating for me, so we'll get there. I wonder if the presence of Randall Leal makes a difference. I'm guessing Leal probably starts in that spot from Wheel if he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's healthy and, and he will be working his way well, back into well, underrated defenders from the wing too. He is, he can track back, he can get forward. And, and of course he has less space. He has to do that on a, on a somewhat, um, you know, shorter pitch. Does that make a difference? Is he going to make that much of a difference when he comes back in once he's back close to something resembling hundred percent? I don't necessarily think from the pure defensive side of things, but, but Nashville is a more dangerous attacking team with him on the pitch. And it's, this is not going to be Pep Guardiola's Man City or Barcelona or Bayern Munich. They're not going to possess the ball in order to play a defensive game. But Leal definitely lets you hold on to the ball a little bit better. It prevents you from he, his presence, prevents you from turning it over in more dangerous positions. And I do think he has a little bit more defensive bite than he gets credit for. If um, it's it's not a one to one comparison to say the least, but if you had a version of Alex Muel who had a bit more attacking ability uh you know you, is that is that an obvious improvement if you're if you're the same defensively which again he's not necessarily but but you add a lot more in attack of course it is and that helps both sides of the ball even though it seems like it's it's a pure attacking uh upgrade it, it helps both ways as we wrap up our discussion of defense and, and move in a minute to attack i want to ask a question that i think we're prone to ask a lot in um after matches like these was this just a bad night was it a disappointing evening yes it was for sure or is there more? Are there patterns defensively that suggest that maybe this is a more vulnerable defensive team than the numbers have shown? Lead you to have any concern about this team heading into games against two very good attacks in LAFC and Atlanta? Yeah, I mentioned it a moment ago, but th- this happens to every team. This I'm, we've seen Philadelphia um, lose by multiple goals this year. We haven't seen Nashville, um, you know, get get blown out 
this this was still just a 2-1 game and I, as i like to say because every episode is actually a college football episode their kids are on scholarship too and when new york city fc is in the city football group ecosystem um their their scholarships can get stretched a little further <laughs> because they're they're scouting and and their placement and maybe some of the some of the um uh, handshake promises that they make to play- players essentially give them more access to to talent for the same budget than than other franchises in the league might have so i would I, from a defensive standpoint, it was uncharacteristic for Nashville. But New York City FC is going to do this to people now that Santi right. is healthy, now that Tyler Magno is able to play on the wing instead of as a miscast center forward. It, it stinks. It does not mean that Nashville FC should be happy about the way that they played defensively, but it does mean that it's it's not the end of the world. It is. I predicted a two-one city win in my preview, and and that's what happened. I think the order of operations is sort of. We talk about this last year with the the eight home games or the eight away games, excuse me, to start the year. If if those had been distributed differently, I think fans would have felt differently by the end of the year about how the season played out. I think you could say that about the order of the goals in this game. The fact that that NSC went down to nothing before kind of scrambling back a little bit. If it had been a 1-1 game and City had gotten a, a completely unconscionable, unacceptable set-piece goal on a corner kick to, to, to provide the winner, people would have still been upset, but I think less upset because they were so down for so long over the course of the game. Be honest. Uh, you're you're very good at, at predicting game states and how a game is going to flow. Uh, the 2-1 correct score prediction. Uh, first time since when that you've gotten a, a score. Oh, I get the... I get the uh, so I didn't get the Toronto one quite right because I think I predicted 1-1. But um, the previous week I predicted... I, I've predicted a couple of them right so okay. far this year. A couple of the, the 2-0 wins I, I got correct. Nice. I think. So you're going to be picking... I'm actually Nashville. pretty good at the predictions even though... Listen, I'm going to give you a little look behind the curtain here folks i I write the preview i read what i wrote and i say just make some shit up (laughs) so so my my hit rate is is much better than it probably should be i mean it's a better process than most out there you saw my mls (laughs) parlay predictor on the uh on on the app Uh, so you're gonna pick a 4-1 nashville win against lafc right and and we'll see we'll see a self-fulfilling prophecy uh interesting stat before we get into Gary Smith's comments on the attack. I think it's a good transitional note. Nashville SC, according to Opta has now won just one of the last 17 matches in which they've conceded. And that's a single goal. I'm talking about. They are, they have nine losses and seven draws. uh, In addition to that one win, they've lost each of the last five times. They've allowed a goal Opta Jack as, as uh, that, that account does a one word descriptor at the end, unforgiving. Uh, that's a trend that obviously has to change if Nashville has aspirations of achieving what it wants to achieve uh, this year. Yeah, certainly. Um, the the flip side of that is uh, they don't concede a lot. At all. Um, <laughs> if you if you Very have true. a lot of shutouts, you don't need to worry about that stat too much. But listen, we we I don't think we uh, need to beat around the bush that the attack needs to do more. In games when Nashville gives up a single goal, in games where Nashville gets a shutout, the attack needs to be more precise. It needs to be more productive, and that's the difference between what we saw uh, out of out of Nashville last year and what we saw in 2021, where the team finished um, third in the league on tiebreakers. And as you'll hear right now, Gary Smith agrees. There was still some fight in the group, but you know, without really showing the right sort of cutting edge or craft when those vital moments came along. And I've said that a couple of times now. We're, we're not looking clinical in front of goal. We find ourselves in some good spots, but, you know, whatever or why, you know, the group looks as 
I would say, uh, you know, just off colour at the moment in that final third. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, we have to continually keep working on. Nashville's attack is, is just not quite clicking right now. Of course, shut out their last two home matches and three of the previous four before a late goal against NYCFC. What's going wrong right now with this attack? You've, you've referenced it on a broad level that it, it's cross-reliant. It's playing through the air instead of doing as much on the ground. What else? What's happening? What's leading to that? And, and where's a fix, in your opinion? Um, some of it, Some of it is, especially... I separate the the problems against Toronto where there was just nothing either way, where that was a Toronto mm-hmm. team that was kind of like we said, <laughs> said last week playing Gary ball. They're saying we, we aren't going to win, but we aren't going to lose uh, against New York city FC. I think it was a game plan that you have to get away from quickly because you go down um, and then you do end up lumping in those 33 crosses. Like you mentioned what they, what they do need is, is a way to, um, convince a team like New York City FC to get forward. Uh, that's, you know, you can't do that when they already have the lead. And especially when they score twice, uh, once on a cross <laughs> and, and once on a corner kick, which I believe also counts as a cross, although a dead ball cross um, from Opta. So um, y- what they need to do is, is, is frankly not go down. And that's, I'm really breaking new ground in terms of how to win soccer games here. But this national team is at its best when the, Speedy players get in space. That's Fafa Pico. That's Jacob Schaffelberg, who obviously did not start on uh, Saturday evening. And it's Hani Mukhtar. And he doesn't get in space behind like those guys do, but they need to be able to hold back the center back. So Hani gets on the ball and is driving at the back line. That's how many of Nashville's goals have been scored this year. Um, obviously, the two that he has assisted Schaffelberg on are... are uh, are very notable in terms of they are basically precisely the same play and they're the exact thing that Hani likes to do the most. Um, he had a couple opportunities for that against New York City FC. The fact that he didn't score, um, I believe once he tried to shoot with his left, no, he laid it off and uh, and the shot was blocked. I don't even remember who the shot came from, but the fact that Nashville isn't isn't creating a ton is is partially because they just you know. In, in a game state situation, they they are going to rely on certain things. They always do. Before they get into that game state situation, which hardly they had any sample size of <laughs> against New York City <laughs> on Saturday night, yeah, uh, they they're 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 uh, their scoring opportunities are going to tend to be fewer, but far more golden. And it just didn't happen on Saturday night, and it didn't happen against Toronto. Uh, our good friend uh, Matt Doyle, who, who's been on the show before, his armchair analyst column, Always Strong, he breaks down each match uh, each week tactically after the fact. He says, another very good game, as it usually is, when Nashville go behind and are forced to come out of their shell to really play. They can manage that, I swear. Even with Randall Leal out injured, they have guys who are comfortable on the ball in the middle of the pitch, and their off-ball attacking patterns can be very good. I um, I don't take a lot of issue with that, honestly. I think the the pieces are there, um, but the challenge is people like Doyle are going to obviously celebrate it when Nashville has to be a little more wide open. And that was a pretty <laughs> wide open match. He, he's enjoying that. And he, of course, is, is you know, agnostic to the result itself. Uh, do you agree, though, that the off ball attacking patterns are solid or is this team doing doing some of the right things and just not getting the finish here? Yeah, I, th- I think that that has a big role in it. Um, I, th- I think it was Godoy. I think it was the one that Godoy shanked, by the way, <laughs> the, the Hani layoff that I just mentioned. But um, 
Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. Uh, you know, again, don't want to bag on the guy because he provides a lot for this team, but the technical combination of of Alex Mwil is not going to be precise enough to always take advantage of that. And he's not the only guy who, who's guilty of that. So I, again, I don't want to bag on him too much. But yeah, I think Nashville's scheme and ability to generate attack has has kind of gone underrated over you know the first three and a half years that this franchise has been in Major League Soccer. But the the problem is if if you aren't paying it off, nobody's going to give you the credit for it, and they shouldn't. So it's time it's time for Nashville to make that happen. All right, so let's move to the mailbag now and stay on that topic uh, of of Alex Wheel. And I I would agree tactically, it's you know not a move I would have made. Uh, and uh, Gary Smith is is uh, paid a lot better and has a lot better experience uh, than I. But uh, I think we can identify that as a as an as an issue looking back. There's another challenge, though, which is that Alex Wheel stayed in the match when Jacob Schaffelberg came in. Instead, uh, Fafa Picot came out in favor of Schaffelberg. Fubar supporters group asking, why did we sub Fafa out for Schaffelberg? Is that another decision here where you're saying, I don't really get it? Or do you think there are other factors we're not seeing here? Or is there something that, uh, that you know, Fafa had an issue and they wanted to, to just go speed for speed and keep Wheel in the match? Yeah, I, uh, it was not that Fafa had an issue. Um, Gary was asked about it after the game. I believe our friend Ben Wright asked him w- what was behind, or no, it was actually Drake Hills asked what was behind that specific decision. And he said, you know, it was just, we wanted a similar player and it was just time to get Jacob on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my my personal decision is, is at that point, you aren't going to have a ton of opportunities to run in behind because New York City FC has no impetus to get forward. So you don't really need both speed guys out there. So it makes a little bit more sense. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, by the time you're down to nothing, I'm kind of, I'm kind of agnostic to any specific, um, substitution, as long as it makes some sort of sense. And that one made plenty of sense to me. So, um, yeah, it, it would be nice to be able to put in like Randall Leal and, and be able to change kind of the look, but, uh, the, the like for like sub makes sense to me because they were able to get free down that left side or, or actually the wings were switching somewhat regularly, but, um, you know, they were able to find space on the flanks a little bit, even though that. They were kind of battling that two-zero deficit, so I don't have a problem with it. It, you know, again, any individual <laughs> substitution decision um, once you're in that situation is is what it is. That's that's reasonable, I, and I, I do understand the idea of having your your ball winner in, in Alex Wheel to to continue to create that pressure. I, again, there, I think I probably do go speed because you've got you know that pressure from some of that speed that that Schaffelberg and Fafa can offer together as well, but. Um, I, I, it is probably, you know, not, not the primary factor, certainly in, in the setback at that point when they're just trying to throw stuff up against the wall, but before the goal happened, I know we didn't get much of a chance to see what Nashville wanted to do, but Fubar asks, what do you think the game plan was when the game started? Assuming it changed once Nashville fell behind for, for me, Tim, I saw a team that I think wanted to be, you know, very compact, very difficult to break down on a smaller pitch. Uh, the, the goal was to win those 50-50 battles and to create opportunities quickly on the counterattack. And it created a couple fairly early on. I mean, mm-hmm. there were a couple of scoring chances very early in the match. That didn't change, by the way, once once the game opened up. Nashville had its moments and, and couldn't capitalize until late. Did you see the same game plan that I saw? And I guess maybe we've talked about Wheel being in there for that reason of, you know, win the 50-50s, win the small yeah. battles, and then bust up down the flanks when you can. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely what it was. It was to go in and, and compete, as Gary likes to say, which he means, you know, win those physical battles, those those battles that that maybe about a second ball or, or maybe even a third ball. 
they knew New York City FC was going to press. New York City FC basically always presses up the pitch. Um, a willingness to to hit the ball into the long spaces and, and try and win in attacking areas. I don't want to call it Red Bull necessarily because Nashville wasn't out there um, counter-pressing if they, if they lost the possession in those situations. But they were, you know, I think priority number one was to go in and win, uh, win with the ball on the ground, win with the ball in the air and try to uh, maintain possession or gain possession that way. And then, and then essentially see what happens. Um, obviously the ways that New York scored, and I said this already too, is un- uncharacteristic for the ways that NYCFC wants to score and uncharacteristic for the ways that Nashville SC is typically going to concede. So um, like you mentioned, I don't think the game plan changed too much because it, it, it was not an indictment of the game plan, the mm-hmm. ways that, that New York City FC scored necessarily. So, um, you know, just an unfortunate match that, that really didn't even change that much once the concessions happened. We're going to get this question every week until Teal Bunbury and CJ Sapong <laughs> start scoring. But the next one, should we be concerned at the lack of goals from strikers? I'll take a stab at this first. Ultimately, of course, you want Teal and or CJ and or random addition in the middle of the season uh, to score. Heck, they'll take it from anywhere, from Zubak, from anybody who's who's up at the top of the formation. But I, I still don't think it is going to define this team's success this year. It, it, obviously, if... CJ Sapong or Teal Bunbury score 10 plus goals. It'll have a huge role in the success, but I don't think that, that the success hangs in the balance of that happening. What they need instead is this, Tim, and, and I'll, I'll posit this and then let you, you know, either shoot it down or agree. They need threats from those strikers. I don't think they need massive goals, but they need CJ and Teal to at least be putting the ball on target, to be getting in dangerous positions, to be doing something to divert attention away from Hani Mukhtar just a little bit so he can get in the half spaces. And we know that's not going to happen often because teams are keying on Hani Mukhtar. Uh, but even just those moments where Hani just needs that extra little gap. Right now, I think the lack of significant threat from CJ and Teal means that Hani's not getting as many of those moments. And, of course, the wings are the ones who are really built to to drive this attack. The mm-hmm. speed there is what's what's doing things. To me, if you have all three of those things clicking, if you have... The wings using their speed. If you have the strikers at least presenting threats in front of goal, if not scoring, and you have Hani Mukhtar capitalizing on the half spaces he's given, then I don't think there's much to worry about with this attack, even if CJ and Teal both finish the year with you know eight or fewer goals. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I've said it before, and I'll I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, uh, until my face matches the color of my shirt and for this audio medium for all of you <laughs> listening here. But yeah, I don't I don't. I don't care if the strikers score as long as they're leading to team success. The issue is that the wingers are also not scoring right now. And Hani Mukhtar um, is having uh, difficulty because of the way that opponents are keying on him. Like you just mentioned, the strikers need to either score or facilitate other people scoring, uh, whether that's holding center backs back so that Hani Mukhtar is able to get on space in the middle of the pitch, which I think they have done. And they did against New York city over the weekend as well. So I don't, I really do not care if the strikers score. The issue is, Somebody has to score. I think once you see Randall Layal come back, the strikers might get some garbage goals because Randall absolutely loves to uncork the long shot. That leads to kind of a spilled save. Um, you know, we've seen those sorts of plays result in CJ Sapong bundling a goal home. I believe his last goal, uh, which was on May 21st last year, which is unfortunately becoming a, a date that's drilled into my brain until he scores again. So CJ, for my own good, please score again. But I believe <laughs> it, his last one was a, a bundled home rebound. The, the strikers role in this attack doesn't necessarily need to be 
um, being the guy that puts the ball in the back of the net. As long as they are effectively doing something that allows somebody on, on the attack to score, I, I really don't care if they do. But if the other guys aren't scoring, it's going to make the strikers look worse. Then mm-hmm. Jacob Schaffelberg is going to get less stick for not scoring than CJ Sabong is going to get, regardless <laughs> of how long either of them goes without scoring. And that's just the reality of the position. But I will say, if guys play their roles, it allows each of them to maximize what they do best. Yeah, you know, the, if- the, the role of the striker can be to score or it can be to to hold center backs back. And so there's space for Hani. I think they're executing that latter role really well. The former, maybe a little bit of success in the former role will will open things up for Hani. Will open things up for the wingers, something like that. Um, the return of Randall Leal, which um, inshallah we're just over a week away from, but um, that's going to change the way that the strikers I think fit into this attack because Randall provides a different threat and can be a, a different type of complement to Hani. At that point, we'll see. We'll see if I still feel the same way that I don't care if they score. <laughs> but but it is a situation that as long as the attack is is functioning, and, and it wasn't on Saturday night, and that's why they're yeah. getting kind of criticized, then it's going to be something that, that people are going to keep coming back to. Yeah, and and you know the, the thesis we'll put out there and we'll always put out there, and we've done it on this show in this episode and, and in previous ones, is that there's a lot more to playing striker than just scoring, yeah. although that yeah. is the primary piece of the job description. And, I mean, Gary Smith told us last year many times, look, CJ's not scoring right now, but he's doing everything else right. And that sounds kind of like the forest was beautiful except for the trees, right? But <laughs> but it's not. It's more than that. And and he needs to continue to draw you know, defenders into him and win those 50-50s and distribute quickly. But he'll be able to do that much better when he's a threat to score. And he's, he's not as much of that right now, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is an opportunity to please to score, if you will, is the food at Melrose. It, it is it is awesome. That was not my best transition. I'll give that a no. C plus. I apologize, uh, but I will say this: the atmosphere is second to none, and we we've heard from people who've been and now watched away matches at Melrose. And as great as it is for the home matches, you get the whole community there, ready to go, have some good tailgate food. Uh, great for the away ones too. Um, and a good opportunity to sit with fellow Nashville SC supporters, have a bit of a raucous atmosphere to, to watch a match, and you know it's going to be on when you show up. Yeah, um, you know we've we've talked a lot in this space about how uh, ML Rose is is serious about about being a place for soccer fans, and they have proven that. Um, thank you to all of our listeners who have who have sent us the pictures as you do so often of of your pre games or post games at ML Rose. These people are serious about this, but I actually want to mention something that is not necessarily relevant to game days themselves. Okay. Wes, I was cleaning out my closet the other day and I found a poker chip with a little owl on it. Oh, yes. Do you know what this is, Wes? It is what you're going to mail to me here. ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> it is the two for two for one happy hours, which yep. they have. Um, at each of their locations, they're they're interspersed throughout the week. So uh, the, the Melrose location, as well as the Mount Juliet location, it is on Thursdays. But it's from three to close. Uh, you can you can have a two for one beers. Sylvan Park, it's Wednesdays. Uh, Capital View, it's Tuesdays. Absolutely love it. You know, you guys know I'm out here talking about how much the beer is is <laughs> is an important part of my MLRS experience, and I'm not going to deny deny it today either. Uh, well, and and there are days, not many of them for me, but there are days when I only want to grab one beer in a Melrose. Maybe I'm meeting a friend for a quick a quick drink. That's Maybe what the poker chip's for. That's what it's for, and that's what I like. I, it it really bugs me. I love a surprise two for one. Don't get me wrong, but when they just bring you the two beers because they don't want to like go back and refill it later, mm-hmm. you're like I, I didn't even know. Like I, I've got two beers. I mean, I'll I'll deal with this burden. Don't worry. Uh, but 
the poker chip is perfect. You can redeem it right then. You can take it back later. It's it's a fantastic tool and the way to do it. I've got one in my car actually to take in the next time I'm there because I did that. I had, had time for the one beer, not for the second. That is the absolute way to go. Thank you for shouting that out. That's great. Yeah, I've been uh, meaning to do it for a while because I found it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Thank you, Emma Rose. Let me know when you're when you're rolling over there, and I will I will meet you. And <laughs> we'll have we'll have and if we go do during two for ones, we collect that next token too, and then it's yeah, we'll thing. always have an odd number of tokens though, so we'll have to, we'll have to keep going back. <laughs> I mean, oh no! <laughs> oh wait, maybe that's why they do that. Oh, good marketing. Uh, let's head now to um, to outside in, and it's a quick one today. Uh, El Trafico, the, the match of the week, it was billed that way and it uh, played out that way in a 3-2 win for LAFC. The pivotal goal call here from Apple TV. Vela will take it. Hollingshead heads it in! Just like that! A two-goal lead for LAFC. It's 3-1 now! And now LAFC, Tim, is the next opponent for the boys in gold. As we mentioned earlier, bad time to be playing them. Uh, as they continue to roll, and what's interesting is they're they're winning three nil, a couple straight games now in CCL. They're coming into league play, and they don't really see, seem to be showing major ill effects. They've had a couple lackluster mm. games there, a couple draws that you'd think they would have won otherwise. But this is a team that seems to be deep and talented enough to thrive in CCL and then come to Nashville and give the boys in goal a very hard time. Yeah, and we talked a lot about who's going to succeed in CCL, and we were saying Philadelphia Union with their young depth is is going to have a really good chance to do it. LAFC has a lot of depth, and not a lot of it is that young either. And then when Denise Buanga starts starts putting them in, when Carlos Vela um, gets a penalty kick on, on Sunday afternoon, but hey, they all count, right? Oh, but that first goal was a beauty, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, but this team is really rounding into form, and and they're a formidable opponent for for Nashville SC. I do think the fact that they're they're still in the in the midst of their CCL campaign in a typical year would be something that you'd look forward to and say, okay, they're not focusing on league play yet. And that may very well still end up being the case. I just think this LAFC team is, is good enough that it doesn't matter. They're going to be able to come in and, and provide a, a pretty stiff opposition no matter what, no matter how many competitions they're in at this point. Uh, Rocket City Space, uh, sorry, the launch pad now is yeah, what it's called. Yeah, so much better. <laughs> so much better. Thanks again, Joel, for that. Uh, one nil loss for Huntsville. I wondered, Tim, if they would send a few folks across from uh, from the Bronx over to um, to Jersey to Montclair mm-hmm. State to play Red Bulls too. Uh, they did not. Uh, Ahmed Longmire, Elliot Panico started, so yeah. he was in. Uh, otherwise, somewhat lackluster day as they seem to be missing Azad Liadi. Uh, but again, anything you saw or heard from Jack Collison, independent of the result itself, that gives you an indication of how things are going in Huntsville. No, I. I it's you know we've said it. Uh, a couple times in the past, they're they're not quite as focused on results at this stage, and I think they they certainly will be, and they and they are going to be as a team. Um, obviously, their wins coming by by penalty kick so far means that they're still looking for that spark that really kind of pushes them to that next level and allows them to to start getting those regulation victories and and really win over some fans in Huntsville before they ever take to the pitch at Joe Davis stadium. So that's something that they're trying to build towards. Um, it was good to see uh, Academy kid, Adem Sipic make a, I think he came in in the 62nd minute. I'm still looking forward to, to hearing more out of him, but um, yeah, pretty surprising that, that very few Nashville SC players, um, you know, essentially the guys who have been there for, for each game uh, made the, made the appearance, but makes sense. They, maybe they're afraid of, of San Diego style, Spanish mission architecture, which I will shout out every time we talk about Montclair state university. You have. It's ridiculous. It is you've ridiculous. Been re- you've been remarkably consistent and you've been to that pitch. So you can speak from experience there. 
lovely renovation uh, facilitated by New York Red Bulls. Uh, Tim, before we get out of here, a uh, quick word of congrats to my opponent from Toronto in our fantasy league. <laughs> oh man, I forgot three. to send my team last week. Uh, you probably still won. You've had some good I'm luck. You've got a you got a good team. Uh, it's so the first I, time I've forgotten to set it though. It's because I didn't mention it on the show last week. Very yeah. deliberately, it was a test. <laughs> we failed the test, and yet knowing my luck, I think about it all week and lose. You're probably still. Uh, no, actually, you lost. Oh, Oof, you're far I got down. Thirty eight points. That's terrible. Yeah, that was not four good. DNPs. Let's go. Not well, that won't do it for you. It's DPs, not <laughs> DNPs. Remember, uh, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, fun, fun week on the show, even if it wasn't a fun weekend on the pitch. Don't forget, visit ML Rose, rate, review, subscribe to the show. And uh, thanks to Moon Taxi for the great music, great local band who's gone national, of course, but still going to play on our show. And thanks to 440 Sports for the microphone. Tim, anything else? Nope. Thanks to everybody. Check out clubcountryusa.com for, for everything you need to hear. Talk to you next week. U.S. Open Cup preview recap of LAFC. Bye.